Hello and welcome to Comic Book Herald's Hickmania, a series running through 2022, where we'll be reading and analyzing the career-owned works of writer Jonathan Hickman. From his debut, The Nightly News, through to his most recent output, we'll be reading one creator-owned work a month through 2022, and each month I'll release a new analysis with a new guest discussing the comic. In its brief seven issues, Secret is a tale of modern corporate espionage that balloons into full Cold War secrets known only to a select few intelligence operatives. We've got writer Jonathan Hickman, artist Ryan Bodenheim, colors by Michael Garland, and letters by Ross Wooten. And I am very excited today to be joined by Open Mike Eagle. Hey, Mike, thanks so much for joining. What uh, what made you interested in joining for Secret? Because I was very excited when you said you were open to that. Oh, um, well... So I was a lapsed comic reader for most of my adult life. And um, when I read House of Powers, uh, it not only got me back into reading Marvel and reading X-Men, it just got me back into reading comic books. And I kind of started with reading everything that Jonathan Hickman wrote. Yeah. Um, and sometimes I think I'm not even a comic fan. I'm just a Jonathan Hickman fan mm. <laughs> because I tend to... Um, very much enjoy what he writes and um and secret is just among his his image output and and uh, there's only one image thing that he wrote that i don't like uh and and that's not to say that i like everything equally but there's only one i don't like and everything else i pretty much love and secret is one of the ones i love what is the image uh hickman book that you don't like uh, I just actually got around to finishing Transhuman, and you guys okay, are right. Yeah. You all are right. You all are right. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's the one. It was like the twist that I saw coming 13 miles away, and um, you know, he he felt it. It seemed like he was very pleased with himself <laughs> to deliver <laughs> yeah, yeah. that twist, and I was like, oh, this yeah, this wasn't this wasn't it. But um, no, everything else I love. Okay. Okay, cool. No, I was, I was really excited when you were like, Hey, I want to join and talk secret. Um, you know, I was just excited that you joined period because you know, you're, for those of you who don't know, open mic Eagle, you know, you're a busy fella. You got music career. You had a uh, anime trauma and divorce. One of my mm -hmm. favorite 20 albums of 2020. Everybody can check nice. that out. Of course. Absolutely. Um, you've got podcasts going on. I was, I just saw that you relaunched. Uh, so I've been listening a lot to what had happened was, which is uh -huh. your pod where you go through, um, kind of some hip hop history with some really cool guests. Those have been amazing. I've been loving the heck out of those. Thanks, you just man. relaunched uh, kind of like a, I don't know what you call it, like a personal interview co uh, podcast. And you had on uh, Dan Harmon. I listened to that episode. That was pretty cool too. So Thanks, keeping busy man. on the pod circuit. Yeah. 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 So like that's the pod I kind of like started with. And it was kind of just like a one-off interview pod, just like the kind of everybody steal the Mark Marin format kind of podcast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, had, I did like 50 some odd episodes of it and it, it laid dormant for a few years and I brought it back and I'm, um, it's still kind of one-on-one, but I'm trying to experiment with pushing it to some more, um, uncomfortable places and see how that feels. It's kind of, sure. it's kind of where it's headed now. Cool. Cool. All right. We'll keep our, we'll keep our eyes peeled for that. Um, so back to the Hickman stuff, you know, it, when you said you'd be down to do secret, I, 97% of the folks I asked to do this, uh, they wanted to do East to West or black Monday murders, which I get, right. Those are, those are the biggest ones. Uh, Manhattan projects, maybe a little bit. And, but true to its name secret is like, it's arguably the biggest secret in the Hickman catalog. Like, I don't think, I don't think it's done any favors. First of all, by the fact that like two of his most well-known works in the Marvel side of things are called Secret Warriors and Secret Wars. Mm -hmm. So it's like borderline ungoogleable. <laughs> like, like it's super difficult to find anyone talking about Hickman's secret stuff that isn't 
the Marvel side of things, right? And I love those works, so I get that. But like in the secret power rankings, like it's a distant third. <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> rough. It's rough. I, you know, when when I realized we were going to be making this content, I was like, wow, we may be the first uh, <laughs> yeah. YouTube content that is specifically focused on image secret because yeah like you said uh between secret warriors and secret war um he's got a lot of secret stuff so yeah the seo does not work out for for image the, on this the seo is rough the seo is absolutely rough and i, I truly though i think you're kind of right because like normally when i go into these as we've been doing these deep dives and we're doing about six months here of hickmania um which has been a blast um even if i'm critical of the work as we talk about stuff like i'm having a really good time going through the creator on catalog of a writer that I've, I've really enjoyed. You know, when you say, I don't know if I'm a comics fan so much as I'm a Hickman fan sometimes. Um, I definitely feel that at times there's a ton of other comics that I love. Like I'm a huge comics nerd clearly. Um, but it's like, there's as a writer, as a mind, like there's a lot of stuff there that I really, really dig. That said, there's also like, when you go on this creator on journey, it's not all aces. Like there's, there's a lot of good, ideas there's a lot of uh the critic for cbh wrote this in his review of red mask for mars there's a lot of gesturing mm. at big interesting ideas but not necessarily seeing them through right and and secret definitely falls in that like super underdeveloped um undiscussed kind of work and like i was saying normally i go back and i want to look up all the interviews and and things that maybe were done around the time we're in that this comes out starting in 2012. So we're still in that period of time where Hickman was like actually doing the comics press circuit and those sorts of things. But when you find conversations from that time, it's all Manhattan projects. It's all East of West. And like he'll mention like that secret is happening, but clearly it's not a, it's not the focus of most of the press stuff or interview stuff at the time. And then the book comes out and it has the thing that a lot of his work has, which is it's crazy delayed in the mm. moment. And like, I wasn't collecting it at the time. sounds like you weren't either. Right. But it's right. like, apparently it was like, you know, two issues and then like something crazy, like a, like a year, like, like 19 months, I should have written it down. I think the artist, I think Ryan Bodenheim got sick, um, or, or was ill and couldn't finish it. So if you were collecting it in the moment, that's one of those things too, where it's just like, well, that just absolutely knocks out any momentum that a book might've had. Um, especially a book like this, that is like, a super slow build. I mean, it's it, this is a book where it works a lot, at least for me, a lot better as a full piece than it does on like a, I'll read two issues, you know, in two months basis. Um, that doesn't work at all. So, all right. So let's let's dig into. But it's so interesting that you say that too. This is my first, um, like decorum. It's been my first experience reading uh, a, a Hickman indie book as it's coming out mm. um, because everything else that I've read from him. Um, his, is already out and collected. And so I get to experience them all in the trade form where beginning and end, it's all there. Um, and I couldn't imagine reading Secret monthly. I couldn't yeah. imagine. It's, it seems it seems so tight um, of a read that I couldn't imagine. Um, I mean, a monthly release and then on top of that, having some delays, it does seem like that would have knocked the momentum out of this pretty easily. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's the thing I always say is like reading things, reading segments, 28 page segments of a story once a month, right? Over the course of like six or 12 months is a really bad way to consume <laughs> pretty much any story. Right. And that is the standard typical comics release platform. Some creators play with that 
a lot better than others, you know? Um, but that was the thing, or one of the big things that made House of X and Powers and Ten such a, a revelation in comics was not only was it rejuvenating X-Men and bringing all these readers back in, right? All these lapsed readers and, and folks, even like myself who hadn't gone away, but definitely had fallen away from X-Men. Not only that, but it was coming out weekly. Right. So it was like, you just didn't have that same, like if that book, if that thing had come out monthly over a year, people would still talk fondly about it, but it would not have had just that surge of attention. That impact, right. Exactly. Exactly. And I get on a production basis why that's hard to do. Like artists can't churn out <laughs> an issue a week. It's not right. plausible, right? Just physically, like their hands will fall off and we don't want that. Um, but yeah, no, it definitely, it definitely can kill a book. And, and I guess with Secret, you know, I'm assuming the vast majority of readership, especially here in the club, is going to be like, okay, we got all seven issues at once. How does this work as, you know, basically a one hour binge? Because I don't think it's going to take, take a heck of a lot more than that. Um this is espionage. Okay. Mm -hmm. This is spy stuff. This is modern corporate spy stuff, or at least it starts that way. It is not necessarily what I think of when I'm thinking of spy books of, of the Bondian nature of, um, I read the spy who came in from the cold, John le Carre recently, uh, that sort of like institutionalized government, you know, spy right. stuff, CIA and the, and the MI6 and all that stuff. It avoids all of that. I don't think it, works incredibly well as like a spy book per se um which is kind of I, I one of the big criticisms for me is and i'm curious what you think about this is like i don't actually think there's much of a secret <laughs> in this book that's for us a as good an audience. call that's a good call you know like there's i the thing that i like when i'm into spy books is a mystery at the heart of it right there's there's a lot of genre overlap between detective and noir and mystery and and the spy stuff that is super famous just in terms of like what is actually at the heart of this who's in control where are we going all of that dramatic irony seems to be right out on the table and like we kind of learn what the secrets are as the characters do you know um it doesn't have you know you mentioned transhuman having a twist that is right. predictable uh secret warriors is a marvel run that has some really fun spy twists I think. And whether they're predictable or not is besides the point. They're twists and they're fun. This book doesn't have that. I don't know. What do you think of that? Like, does it, is it well, missing you know an what? element? Now, I wouldn't quite say it's missing, but I think that you are picking up on something really interesting is that the very first twist I think happens in the first issue, right? Like, we start with this cold open where this um, CEO is being uh, kidnapped and tortured, and then very quickly, we kind of realized that the the like that person's attorney is consorting with the same group of individuals uh, for protection. That is or is that the second issue? I can't remember because I read it all so quickly, but it it was quickly revealed that the group that this organization is going through for protection is the same one that has kidnapped and and tor tormented um, the CEO to get access to his files. Yeah. And yeah. that is very much something that could have been dragged out, but I actually like the fact that it was kind of done up front. It was one of those things that kind of let you know that there's layers to this, and the layers yeah. are going to come at you quickly. Um, now, I do think there's a there's a revelation later on in terms of what a Steadman and Steadfast, the people who run the spy agency what they are protecting isn't revealed until later on. So that kind of right. acts as a secret. But I guess 
what you're also picking up on is that that secret itself has less of a value to the story because we're so involved with the people and the interpersonal connections at yeah. that point that, you know, the, the information of what is being hidden, even though we didn't know it and now we do, it doesn't impact the story that much. Yeah, I think that's well said. I mean, I, I, definitely for me, I feel like the thing that I like about Secret is you have these two brothers who are very different um, in some ways, but they're also, they were raised in this sort of, spy type organization you know their father's this ruthless brutal man who cuts off one of the son's fingers to make the point that the stealing is not the problem the problem is that you got caught right and it's like that those types of scenes then build a relationship between these two brothers mm -hmm. um and those characters are interesting like once they get together and you get to this and the secret and like we're going to talk about this in depth right so if you haven't read this spoilers are coming um go read it it'll take you an hour come back and listen to the rest uh, but like the secret here is like this secret economy of wealth, right? It's that like the Russian and the CIA, like, you know, the KGB and the CIA basically, right? Like that they have like a hidden secret stash through the Cold War of what they call like a whole ass economy mm -hmm. of wealth. And then there's this heist of sorts to steal it. It's like the last three issues. I feel like the book really finds itself once it hits that point. It's like at that point, I'm like, oh, okay, this is what the book is. Whereas the first half it's very obtuse, you know? Um, and I think there's probably two ways to interpret that. One is like, it's really clever and layered and slow building intentionally. But for me, definitely as a reader, I was just kind of like, like the first time I read it, I read the first two issues and I was like, I'm, I'm out. Wow. <laughs> like I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. I checked out. I checked out. Um, cause I was just like, I don't, I don't know. I like, I don't know anything about this and it just did not get its hooks into me. But then when I came back for this, right? Because I know I'm going to discuss it and I don't know what we're talking about it. Then I read it again and I read it twice. And I was like, this works a lot better for me on a reread where I kind of know how all the puzzle pieces fit. I don't know. Did you have anything like that? Or you were like, you were in from jump? You know what? I was in from jump. And when I think about the reason why, this is, this is a very simple reason, but it's a thing that I tend to like about Jonathan Hickman's writing and specifically in this book, is that I like how these characters talk to each other. Mm. I like that they use very few words. They're very expedient and they're very intimidating. There's always this sense that one of them might kill the other one quickly and get away with it. Um, and, 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 and the way that they communicate raises the stakes for me a lot. And so, um, and, and I, and so we talk about the finger, right? Um, that their brutal father cut, you know, young Grant's finger off. But I think, you know, the, the symbol for that for me, because to me it goes with the tooth that's taken out and that cold open. It's like what's impressed upon me as a reader is that what's going on in this world with these people, these, these, these issues that they're in conflict over, that they're working, um, they're working to protect or working to take from other people, that these things are very serious. And, and I get that seriousness and how these characters talk to each other. And it feels very real to me, not real in the sense that I have any experience with people who do espionage, but it's, it's just like there's some filter that's taken out with how these characters communicate with each other. And, and when I think about Jonathan Hickman writing this stuff, it's like, oh, I bet he wishes he could talk to people like this, <laughs> you know, and just tell them exactly what needed to be done with the threat of death hanging over them and, because uh, even how um, 
was it it was Grant and Thomas in the scene where they meet the women that they'd go on to marry. Um, there's a conversation that Grant and Thomas have before the women arrive. And I can't remember their names. I wish I, th- that's, that's the problem with me in this story is I don't remember everyone's name, but um, where Grant and Thomas are talking about it. And you think they're talking about a hit that they're about to pull off right? with just the seriousness of the language and the immediacy that they're, that they're speaking in the terms that they're speaking in, but it turns out they're just strategizing on how to talk to people. Yeah. But yeah. so like stuff like that, I really appreciate That's just very entertaining to me. Um, the, the sort of way that they, communicate yeah yeah i can see that for sure it's definitely hickman i think at this point in his career has definitely very and and honestly it's pretty fully formed even when he starts like he's he writes a very similar style of dialogue a lot of the way through um but it's a very fully formed kind of everyone speaks in quotables um i think you're you're right in summarizing it as it's always more intimidating than it needs to be. It's always more menacing <laughs> than the circumstances might dictate. Um, that is a hundred percent here. And like, there's some good quotes, you know, it's kind of East to West light type stuff because the stakes aren't, you know, the council deciding the fate of the apocalypse, the stakes are rich people getting richer, right? It's, it's very um, spy craft, but also like, it's weirdly one of his most grounded things he's ever written frankly i agree yeah like since the since the nightly news like the nightly news is violence and journalism and politicians right and it's it's all very okay real world type stuff um but after that he goes heavy sci-fi he goes um superhero stuff right it's all it's all very fictionalized in genre and it's you know a lot of very fun stuff that we enjoy reading uh but here it's it's all like yeah this feels like it could conceivably be how some of this stuff might work, you know, mm-hmm. with security consultants manipulating their clients and stealing their secrets and making more money off of it that way. There are probably people, not probably, there are people <laughs> who exist who do these types of things. Um, not necessarily have, you know, the secret economy that they ultimately discover, but like this world feels believable. And the characters speak in those Hickmanisms that just amplify everything. That is very, very fun. I mean, there's a quote right at the front, the first issue. We climb the wall to see the world we rule with secrets, lies, and half-truths. We climb down to do murder. Mm. It's a very, very good opening epigraph. Um, he's great at those. He's absolutely great at those. I appreciate that. You know, this this book also, it feels very Warren Ellis inspired, mm. um, especially this era of Ellis, you know, before he was appropriately shunned for the the awful behavior that has been revealed um if you don't know what i'm talking about go check out um i think it's so many of us.com sort of details that but the style and the influence that that he had as a creator throughout his career and also in this era of image comics especially which is kind of a golden age of just like a ton of amazing stuff coming out in the early 2010s it's a lot of like short in, in, uh, impactful dialogue you know just kind of hammers mm-hmm. dialogue right boom 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 and letting the artist breathe, okay? Yeah. Letting the artist breathe. And that's what Bodenheim does here a ton. Uh, Mike, two-part question. How do you like the art in secret? And the coloring is particularly noteworthy because of the monochrome use, right. and it just kind of <laughs> oscillates all over the place. How, how did that work for you as a story? I really enjoyed the art, and I've, I've found the coloring choices particularly impactful. Um, I love that sense of minimalism. Um 
Bodenheim draws with such clean lines that they had to kind of lend itself to that monochromatic palette very well. But then how you would turn a page and everything is red tinted and then everything would be blue tinted or things would be monochrome except for a red dress. Like all that stuff was really helped to kind of heighten the sense of, of stakes in the story for me. So, um, I just really, I just really enjoyed it. I didn't have a lot of uh, analysis <laughs> about it, but I thought it was real good. I thought yeah, the, color, the sure. art and the coloring was really, really good. I thought it was really well done. Yeah, Bodenheim is definitely, uh, I think, fantastic. Um, on the, on the, it, he's primarily known for his collaborations with Hickman. Um, and and R.I.P. to to Ryan Bodenheim because yeah. he passed, I think, just earlier this year, which is I such a bummer. So, yeah. Um, but uh, but on a Red Mask for Mars, which is the other one we've read in the club, uh, which is uh, have you read that? Yeah, one. Okay, yeah, that that one's there's a lot to chew on that on that one, and it's the same kind of thing where it's incredibly clean lines. I love the designs. Um, characters are very discernible, right. I think a lot of, in, in in not easy ways. You know, like if you've got three white security consultants with the same length hair, right. like that's a hard thing to distinguish, and he kind of does it. And he, um, and he doesn't, the easy way to do it would be like, you make one guy really big and one guy really skinny yeah. and he doesn't do that. They all kind of have relatively the same build, uh-huh. right? But they're, but they're all discernible and you're right. And it's, that is yeah, it's expression. It, yeah, exactly. It's, it's character coming through, you know, like Jacob, kind of the, the hitman who we're not supposed to like in this, like, you, I guess he's got a scar or something, but it's like, you, you know, him, like you can right. tell, um, the coloring by Michael Garland. So yeah, it's like almost every page is like a, a monochromatic sort of like everything is blue everything is tan or whatever the only thing that bothers me about it is it feels like there's should be more intentionality like it's like it's coded and maybe it is but i don't get it (laughs) you know so like it's probably not right like it's probably it was probably done with more feeling than than uh intention Mm -hmm. um but it, it's funny that you say that because I think what that does with my mind is make me look for an intention that isn't there. Yeah. But it looks yeah. real cool, you know, is the is the other side of the coin. You're right. Like it's I, I think a lot of times I'm looking for answers when the answer is no, it's cool. <laughs> like just relax. <laughs> like <laughs> that's fine. That's enough. Uh it made me think of there's a um Rorschach, mm-hmm. uh the book that Tom King and Jorge Fornes did for DC, this modern sort of reinvention of like uh, a Rorschach mythos, right? So they didn't literalize like a before Watchmen style, like, hey, we're literally doing Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons Rorschach. We're going to kind of do our own thing. But Fornes, uh, the artist there, does amazing work with color where it actually conveys time. Mm-hmm. It's more of a thing to show flashback. And this event happened in a certain time. So I, like, I was looking for that right. here in, in Secret and definitely... I couldn't make it add up. Um, but there are certain things like, I mean, obviously like it's Schindler's list is probably the example that comes to everyone's mind, but just anytime there's like a red popping on an all white or gray background, like it, it can be kind of stunning right. and striking. And that's used pretty effectively here as well. So I don't know. I found it, I found it a little irritating at first, but I think that was me bringing my own desire for it to be more than it is. To you know, point. one thing to think about too, is that, and I'm not very good at keeping up with the timeline of when things came out, but if we're thinking uh, earlier image work, earlier creator-owned work from Hickman, he's trying to do everything himself. Yeah. Um, and you get to this, and it feels like he's trusting his collaborators so much. Mm. And I think that there's something about that that appeals to me too. Is that you know he's 
fully embracing his role as the writer and allowing the the penciler to fully embrace their role and allowing the colorist to fully embrace their role. Yeah. And and it seems like I, I would hope that he was very pleased with how that kind of symphony came out, even though he didn't. It doesn't seem like he necessarily dictated each and everything. That's a really interesting point, because I actually think with the Red Mask for Mars, the book he had done with Bodenheim previously, I think he colored it like he still mm. hadn't given that. piece. So it's like he's slowly giving pieces of the process up as he progresses, you know, because um, the first two works, like you said, they're all him. Right. The Nightly News and um, Pax, oh, Romana. Pax Romana. Thank you. Um, that's all him. And then he slowly starts to give things up. Right. So by the time we hit secret and that's the other piece of it, we talked about this with the Manhattan projects a little bit, dude is busy. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Dude, dude is writing a lot of comics. He's taking over Avengers and new Avengers, right? And that whole build up to secret wars is kicking off. He's got the Manhattan projects. He's got secret. He's got East of West. There's just a lot going on. And like you're saying, you have to trust your collaborators at right. that point. Um, and I, I don't know, I guess the one thing that's maybe the most interesting to me of all of that is sort of the, assumed agreement here between him and Bodenheim that like both of them are like, Hey, my art looks best in monochrome, Mm. you know, like they seem to have both come to that conclusion on both of these projects. And I think the next one they do, the dying and the dead is going to do kind of a similar thing. And that's very curious to me because I don't know. It must just be an aesthetic thing. They must just both like that together. Cause I like, there's no reason Bodenheim's art couldn't be colored differently, right? The way we'd expect, at least that I can think of, you know, but I, I do I love this choice and I uh, I have read Dying in the Dead but I need to revisit it to look at it through the lens of color because you know what's funny is that one thing I've noticed about myself when I read comics I have to really in uh in in a lot of respects be intentional about taking the time to take in the art oh, yeah. because I am so busy just devouring all the words and jumping from panel to panel so yeah um I have to reread Dying in the Dead. And see how that art hits me. Yeah, yeah, same. No, I'm curious to check that one out too. It's coming up. Um, I'm, I definitely, first and foremost, am that kind of reader. Like I'm definitely a words first <laughs> reader. Like the the dialogue and the lettering will take me through a book. I have to make a conscious effort, um, especially if I'm like it. It helps in some ways to have you know analysis that I'm that I'm planning on because then I will purposefully take the time to be like, hey, there's a you know, the most significant piece of the puzzle here (laughs) that I will otherwise bypass. I think that's, (laughs) I do wonder for, for readers like ourselves who love Hickman stuff. um, It makes me wonder if he's like, cause like he kind of views himself as an artist first, you know, but it ironically, like I do find him one of the types of writers in comics where he feels like somebody who reads for the writing, like his stuff um, feeds that. Right. You know, more. Right. Like there's just there's more meat on the bones. There's more sort of um, poetry in some ways with some of the like I said, the quotables and and just I don't know, maybe it's just the concepts and the ideas like as a writer, he tends to have a lot of, of sustenance in the language. Absolutely. And I think that carries me through, you know, why I why I'm such a fan. I agree. Uh, I have this thing in my head and it's uh, and I don't know how you are about language on these things. Uh, do you have do you, do you have oh, go, concerns? we're far enough in that uh we can we can hit a bleep if we need to but you're fine this is okay so this is how i think of his writing and this is uh 
this is a, a, a maybe a patriarchal phrase, but it's it's more of an aesthetic than anything else. In my head, he writes with his d- out. <laughs> and I've, I have like it, it occurred to me like reading I, I think it was reading one of those X-Men issues, the one with um, Mystique and Nimrod, where Nimrod comes to life and um, he's saying all this flowery stuff to Dr. Gregor. And like yep. mid sentence, he looks and he's like, "That's a mutant." Like, and and it's just like, "Oh, that is the most like like that." The emotional switch over just had this fucking punk rock energy, and I was yeah. like, "I just I, that's that's what I like about him." Mm-hmm. You know, is is that like there's almost rudeness to how he um, how he manipulates emotionality sometimes mm. that really appeals to me. Yeah. Yeah. I dig that. I dig that. I mean, I think that's another piece. I really feel like with secret, I, I wonder if this book could have and wanted to go longer than it did, you know, cause it's seven issues. It's it, the image trade of the time is usually six issues. That's mm. a trade. This goes seven and it kind of rushes to a conclusion. You have to think the delays and maybe Bodenheim's health are a part of that. Um, and also just maybe like I don't know if you sit an idea too long, it can just become distasteful, you know, mm. like you've got a thing and you're hyped about it, but then you're sitting on it so long that it's like, whatever, let's just finish it. But I really do wonder if this thing had been a, even a 15, 20 issue run, I feel like it would, it would have a much more um, ardent fan base. I believe because, that. Yeah. Like it was really building I, by the time we get to the end, I'm, I'm way more invested than I am. Like I said, through the series first half, I actually think it was gaining a lot of momentum. Um, and to your point about the emotionality of it, that piece of it doesn't connect early, um, mm. hardly at all. But by the time we get to the end, we have a relationship between two brothers. We understand right. a little bit about themselves and their family and their father. We have these other supporting players with a little bit going on. I think the whatever romance or or lack thereof between Grant and his um, soon-to-be ex-wife, that never totally click for me like i just mm. i don't know like that I, I feel like there was a lot there that either could have been developed or just thrown out entirely um but yeah like i i do think if this thing had gone longer and this is that's something we've been saying about so many of these reads right now where it's like and i, I as i say it as a criticism the more i say it i realize like really what i'm doing is i'm just saying i wish there were more hickman comics to read right, so like right, actually right. it's a form of flattery 100 <laughs> you know? and, and i think in this case because some of those, some of some of the books um, in his catalog, I get to the end and I'm like, oh my gosh, I definitely needed two or three more issues of this mm-hmm. to feel like mm-hmm. it was complete. Now this one, I didn't necessarily feel like it needed more, but in the context of this conversation, when I think about the very end of it, I'm like, oh, this ending doesn't all the way make sense. Like they they have Stedman. And instead of killing him, which is what all kind of logic would dictate, mm-hmm. they choose to repeat the motif of, you know, cutting off a body part to reinforce how. But I feel like at this point, Stedman already knows how serious it is. Right. And unless you're going to keep chopping a body part off every time he makes a mistake, like I don't, I don't know what the end game of that is versus just killing him. So in that sense, I'm like, oh, I do wonder if that maybe wasn't the original ending yeah, or if that was something that kind of, uh, you know, came up as they were, as they were creating, because 
the, the logic of that particular choice didn't necessarily hold up for me, even though I did feel like the story itself was largely complete. Right, right. No, it does. I think it kind of creatively saves it. You know, it, it, like you said, it feels like a complete story. Um, and, you know, just in terms of that cool factor, right? It's just like, hey, we're going to recycle probably the most memorable moment of the first half of the comic. We're going to bring it back and it's going to land with this character. I think to your point, though, this is a dude in his 60s of tremendous wealth and power (laughs) like it doesn't have the same impact on him probably as it does on an eight-year-old or whatever um i i it makes me wonder about yeah a continued version of this story where then we get to see grant and and marcus at the head of like you know this this espionage organization with all this wealth like something where it's like okay now that we got that out of the way let Mm. the real spy stories begin or something to that effect. And one, one must wonder, too, because, you know, at the heart of this story, what seems to be the big idea is, okay, what if all of the Russian spies and the American spies during the Cold War had conspired to create this wealth based on making each country believe that the other one was up to programs that didn't exist? So just basically um, having bankrolls constantly funded based on phantom operations that weren't having happening, but for them to be in agreement on that and, you know, and agreeing to share that wealth. That seems to be the big idea. One thing that never really gets introduced into that, which when you think of Hickman, a lot of Hickman stuff, there, there is a, there's a thread of media that gets intertwined in it at some point. And in this one, that never comes up. Like nobody ever threatens to expose this. <laughs> like, um, and even when I, I guess the Russians are sort of talking about it and they're like, we don't even care if people find out about this. Like, like that's <laughs> yeah. more a concern maybe for the Americans, but like the, the fact that that never becomes, um, that that's not part of the stakes really is kind yeah. of interesting to me. And I wonder if, if it had gone longer, would that be something that would be instituted or maybe would have gone in that direction? That's interesting. Yeah. It, it would have been interesting to see it discussed more, even if just to say in sort of a vein of the nightly news of just being like, yeah, we're not worried about them. They don't matter, right? That, that's an angle you could take um, of these these people being like, our power is so far beyond that or not, right? But yeah, it doesn't really come up. Um, so, all right. So this is this is spy stuff. Uh, again, it's seven issues. It's a super easy read. Um, I, I do think it's better as it goes. And I also think it's better when you... I, I really enjoyed revisiting the first three issues after I had read it again, because then I was like, oh, okay. Like, even just some of the names and stuff, you know, you mentioned, like, I don't know, it's always such a... It always feels like such an anti-intellectual complaint. Like, you heard this a lot during Game of Thrones. People are like, oh, I can't remember anyone's name. And I was, like, <laughs> I was like, it doesn't matter. Like, it, do, it doesn't, like, either stick with it or it doesn't matter. But in this book, I had that problem. I was like, I don't... The only reason I remember grant is because i know hickman's a big grant morrison fan <laughs> like it's very comics nerdy and meta um in a way that is not important to the story i kept anyway. wanting to call everybody thomas but thomas is like the character we never meet because he's yeah, dead yeah, by the time yeah. the story starts <laughs> right right totally and even that like the the opening montage honestly the first time i read it i was like i did not even connect the dots that mm. it was his funeral you know and those sorts of things um this by so and Maybe that's stuff that seems super obvious. What are what are some of the like spy stories that you love? Like, do you have like spy movies or I don't know? Are you like a genre you know, junkie or I, not so much? I gotta say, I haven't watched too many spy movies. I, I feel like when I was younger, I saw a bunch of James Bond and or like the Transporters. I, I never really got into it, and 
that genre never really did that much for me, I don't think. Um, Comics-wise, uh, big fan of Hickman's Secret Warriors. Um, like a lot of that S.H.I.E.L.D. stuff and double, triple agents. Like, I, I really enjoyed that. And um, and I've enjoyed quite a bit of the Brubaker and Phillips stuff. Um, but, I, you know, I guess that stuff vacillates between, you know, crime, street-level crime noir and, and espionage. Mm-hmm. But um, that's what this, I think that's what this book reminded me of the most was kind of like some of the Brubaker Phillips stuff that yeah. I enjoyed. Yeah, they have some great, I mean, obviously Criminal is amazing, but he, like Sleeper and Velvet are more spy focused. And th- there's so much overlap, I think. But like I was saying, I've been doing like a lot of old crime noir cinema type binge stuff mm-hmm. um, just for some projects I'm working on. And there's a ton of overlap between just like, it's a mystery. There's a lot of moving parts. You know, like I said, like there's 20 different names of so-and-so is down at the docks doing, you know, and it's like, right. it's it's very spy focused in a lot of ways. Um, or the ways these stories come about, they just aren't, you know, they're, they're PIs instead of CIA or whatever, right? The organizations are different. And I do um, love a noir movie. I do love a, uh, you know, Raymond Chandler, you know, yeah. uh, some secret history of, of LA corruption. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm very much into those. My favorite one's probably Roger Rabbit. That's the sleeper noir. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. Talks about history, Absolutely. Of, uh, history of LA public transportation is on display in that one. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good. And Brubaker and Phillips have been doing a, a, some decent um, California. I don't know. I don't know the areas that well, but um, in the Reckless series, okay. have you been reading these? I haven't, but I got to get on that. They're the new graphic novels, and like they're so it's like total pulp noir, just like it's incredibly readable and fun. Um, but Brubaker will weave in like one sort of like secret history of California thing in there. Every time. I love that. Yeah, I love it's that. good stuff. It's good stuff. Um, okay, so. You've also, you mentioned recently, been rereading uh, Avengers, yep. if I'm not mistaken. I re- reread the entire um, Avengers, New Avengers, everything uh, up until Secret Wars proper started. How, what, what inspired that? And kind of, first off, was it your, you, it was a reread, right? You had read re-read, it before. Yeah. Okay. How did, how'd that go? What, uh, how'd the reread go? So it, it started actually when I uh, walked out of the theater for Multiverse of Madness mm. Um I just really got in my head how much I loved how many of those issues started out with that same Illuminati scene. Like, and I just wanted to be in that world again uh, and and feel that again. And it was just amazing to take all that stuff in. I mean, I think one thing that leapt out at me, so he had that motif of starting so many issues with Reed Richards saying everything dies and, Mm -hmm. and, and and then they kind of pull out and, and it's the Illuminati sitting there. But the first time they did it and it was like, namor and the cabal like i could have jumped out of my seat like you know and and that's the thing because hickman he gets you know one of the things people label him with is that he does a lot of repetition and he does but i think it gives him room to do these power moves like that you know and and that's one thing i really appreciate him is that i appreciate the fact that he he tends to reward a reader for staying along you know, yeah. reward a reader for paying attention and and understanding how a motif works and building expectations around what he's doing because at some point he's going to come along and 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 smack you in the face with the other hand <laughs> and it's always like yeah, yes yeah. I love right. that slap please can I have another <laughs> exactly well the perfect example of that and this is spoilers for Avengers and Secret Wars if you haven't read it um, mute this or jump ahead. Uh, is you know everything dies is right. is said how many times throughout that right. whole run and then of course the way Secret Wars ends right the inversion to that with Doctor Doom and it's so it's just my favorite yeah. ending of a comic book event uh, 
ever. I mean, I just, I love it so much. Um, but yeah. All right. So how, was there anything on the reread that you were like surprised to see, um, or stuff that, that kind of got you thinking about like where, I don't know, like X-Men stuff could go or where the MCU is going or anything. I like mean, that? honestly, when it comes to X-Men and, and I'll, I'll even say this in terms of secret, like seeing how he's so adept at the kind of storytelling where, you know, you present all of the elements and then you start closing the loops. Like, I will never not be upset that we didn't get to watch him close more loops in X-Men. Like, right. e even if other writers get to do it, I'll always be a little disappointed that we were there for so much setup with him and didn't get to see exactly how he would have threaded it. Because right. to me, like, that's that's like it like i'm saying with uh with the avengers new avengers run like that's part of the enjoyment of it was that you you sit with it for the whole time even some of the issues that aren't um the most exciting is that they ultimately set you up for when he ratchets everything up to close and i'm i'm just i have i still don't know what to do with the feelings of wanting to consume his ideas for where he was taking things because yeah. I felt, I felt very much like I was, I was the fish that took that bait, mm -hmm. you know? And, and um, it's just really hard for me with all of this stuff, not to just want to know what it would have been like. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. I mean, it's I, in the, er, in the early moments of finding out that we wouldn't be getting that, you know, I was definitely, trying to create reasons why that was okay <laughs> <laughs> that is so honest i appreciate that man yeah That's yeah <laughs> and the further we've gotten from it you know the the i totally agree with you it's like i'll i'll always be disappointed yeah that that's that it didn't happen right that we didn't get like you said just threading the needle just closing the house and powers to what right mm -hmm. to what like end um, and it's, I don't know, I guess it's still, it's, it's far enough away that it's like, I don't know, maybe he comes back, maybe he writes a, sure. whatever, a little thing, but it's just, it's never going to feel quite the same as like, well, he was the coach and yeah. he was with the team the whole run and <laughs> now we get a championship, you know, like it's just never going to have that, that kind of vibe to it, which is a bummer. Um, and, and, there's and some the stuff other... I'm excited about, but it's not, yeah. it's just not the same. It's not. And, and reading Avengers, new Avengers and seeing the kind of choices that he makes when he's given the room to make them and execute yeah. them. Like it was just a very rewarding read, um, you know, and it's a, it was a lot of comics and a lot yeah, yeah. of choices and a lot of characters and a lot of side stories. Um, but it was just very, very satisfying. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's that satisfaction that I feel like, you know, I, I go as far as sometimes to feel like I I deserve it <laughs> with the X Men, but you know that's 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 unrealistic and immature sort of thinking. <laughs> no, I mean you're definitely not alone in that. I mean I think it, one of the coolest things about the Avengers run, definitely for me, is is just so rare in superhero comics in big two stuff to get a satisfying journey from beginning, middle, and end. Right. Uh, particularly the end of things. Right. Things don't end. Right. That's the whole thing, and it's part of what. I enjoy in some ways, you know, but it's also like as story, we're just kind of perpetually missing that piece of the puzzle. The shoe never um, drops. Yeah. Yeah. The shoe never totally drops. And then it, this actually came up today. I was talking about this with a, somebody who writes for CBH, but it's like, 
the Marvel Universe actually ended. Like, they actually told the story of, like, this is the actual conclusion of Marvel Comics in Secret Wars. And, of course, it's not. But that's as close as you can get. Like, that's as close as you can do it and then still turn around the next week and publish whatever comics you need to publish to meet your bottom line, you know? Um, And the fact that somebody got to do that, in this case, Hickman, is just a tremendous rarity. Like, there are not moments like that in comics history, uh, or not many, I should say, and there definitely are not many good ones. Ironically, like X-Men Onslaught, the 1996 X-Men event, that's kind of one of those moments where it's like, everything ends for certain kinds of Marvel heroes. Right. Like all the, they all go to their heroes reborn pocket universe, et cetera, et cetera. But onslaught isn't special. Uh, you know, it's, it's at best really good nostalgia <laughs> for those of us who are, who are there for it in the nineties. I, think. you know, it's, it's funny. Cause that's, you know, uh, in my, my revisiting comics, I've read every, you know, modern, x-men event except that one because i can't find anybody say anything good about it yeah yeah it's so so dense it's just so much is that like it's just it's the most exhausting Mm. i think of of any of them um if you do it uh i i definitely recommend doing like a fast track binge like that's what we did in our reading club was like here's like seven to ten issues okay that will give you what you need um that i i prefer that way to do it for sure because otherwise it's you know a hundred comics. And then that's the thing is like, if you're going to read all that, you feel like you deserve that satisfying conclusion. And I promise you, you will. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. haven't gone back to that one, but yeah, you know, along the lines of what you're saying about Hickman being able to write the end of everything, I I felt like he earned so much real emotion out of me, especially like the last few issues of time runs out as he's literally writing the deaths of of heroes kind of one by one or two by two in these epic fights and i I mean you felt it you felt it like the ultimate raising of the stakes you know and and i don't know it was just it was very very rewarding yeah yeah totally agree so as far as x-men these days obviously we're in the post hickman era are you still are you keeping up with like the gillen stuff are you are you keeping up like with the kind of the universe are you you kind of taking a break I'm I'm dumb, so I'm buying everything every week. Still, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, there, you know, I, I, I can, I cannot, I don't, I still don't think to this day that there is a Krakoan era monthly X Men book that I have not read yet. Yeah, and I don't think that there's. I think I think maybe the I didn't read the last issue of X Core. X Core. Yeah, okay. I think yeah, that's yeah. like the only one. Um. Other than that, I, I've still been I've still been along for it, um, and you know, there's stuff that I I like a lot, like X Men Red a lot. Um, um, what's the Gillum Immortal X Men? Immortal, yeah, is is very enjoyable. You know, I think I think the 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 X Lives and X Deaths that was rough. That was yeah. rough. That was yeah. that was that was tough. Um, because it. And and not to say that it in itself was just bad, because it wasn't like that. But I think in terms of letting us know that we're in a different world now in terms right. of the aesthetic and what we should expect from the comics, it definitely was that. It definitely was yeah. a signpost that things are different now. And um <laughs> right. you know, so kinda, you know, if 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 you're in it for what was coming before, you're kind of moving at your own peril. 
Yeah, yeah. I, this is a bad analogy because I'm not even that big of Van Halen fan, but I feel like <laughs> it's kind of like when you go from the David Lee Roth to the Sammy Hager, mm-hmm. and it's like this is a different thing now. Different <laughs> like, thing. I, this is not what you enjoyed originally, mm-hmm. um, and that's definitely true. Uh, it's definitely true. Although you know, I'm yeah, like I'm just such a sucker for the stuff that it's like I'm still into the Gillen books. I like Ewing. Uh, New Mutants has been really good I like for a New while Mutants. now. I also like I like the X Men book, the the Jerry Duggan book. I really like that one too. Like that last issue, that reveal, like that was cool. I, I was, was really cool into. I'm like, okay, yeah. okay. Like I, I'm I'm because that feels like it's going to be closing some loops, you know. And, yes. and that's and and when we've been reading month to month since you know 2019, it just it feels so satisfying when when we see long term things start to come to fruition like that, you know. Yeah. So. Um, so I'm still, I'm still in it largely. I think I'm, I think I'm a little more cautious now. Like I think, um, I'm a little more, um, what's the word? I'm a little more aware that what I'm getting is what I'm getting and not what it used to be. And so I think it, 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 it stings a little less in yeah. some ways. Um, but I, I'm still been along for the ride. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm still buying my comics mostly Tuesday at midnight <laughs> on the nice. digital app. Oh, nice. Yeah. There you go. How, how are you digging Sabretooth? Are you enjoying that one? I am. I, I, I find the gaps in it to be kind of weird. It doesn't, it feels like it's been coming out on kind of a wonky schedule. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's everything, one, everything's on a right. real messed up schedule right now. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think that's just, that's tough too. And I, and I heard you say that on one of the live streams that like, yeah, we kind of have to consider these stories differently, but I, Sabretooth is one of the ones where I feel the gaps. Like yeah, every time I get a new issue with Sabretooth, I'm like, wait a minute, what the hell is happening again? Kind of right. Forgot, right. You know? It's going to, it's going to benefit in five months when everything's on Marvel Unlimited or whatever. Yeah, and you exactly. can just read all five issues at once. I think more people are going to recognize some, some good stuff there. Um, all right, cool. So I got two more things for you. One is uh, shouts to the Black Bolt and Lockjaw reference on your hey, last single. Hey, loved right. it, loved that's it. Right. Uh, also, also weaved in Mitski shortly thereafter. Oh yeah, I, I was like, this is this is way too up my alley. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just shouting stuff out. You know, as I see it, as things pop up on my computer. You know, just put them in a verse. There you go. Love it, love it. Um, other thing. Who you got in the finals? I saw you've been tweeting about the NBA finals. Hey, Warriors, uh, you close it up? so Warriors is my second favorite NBA team. Uh, you know, I'm a Bulls fan. Okay, hell yeah. Thick and thin. Um, yeah. Speaking of not getting what you thought you were going to get. Um, <laughs> hey, we got one. We got one on the Bucks, and honestly, like that was that was kind it of was case. it was and 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 you know, I think if if we can keep it together and and people don't get hurt in COVID uh, over this next season, we got something to look forward to, mm-hmm. which is good, but. Yeah, um, I like the Celtics too. Like, actually, I was I was wanting the Heat to win so I could have somebody to root clearly against while oh, okay. I was rooting for the Warriors. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Celtics are dangerous. They look great. Um, their athleticism is out of control, um, and those guys are going to be around for for a while. But um, mm-hmm. I do like my Warriors, man. I'm a big Steph fan. I, I just I think that's that's you know. Draymond, you can kind of take or leave, but that's a real likable group of guys, and yeah. and I root for him. My son roots for him, so you know, happy times if they can pull this off. I'm I'm with you on that. I've been rooting for the Warriors pretty hard. I love Steph; he's so fun to watch. Yeah. I love Steve Kerr, former Bull, right? Yeah. Always yeah. rooting for him. Um, yeah, Draymond's. The, it's funny. Like everyone's always like, oh, and Draymond. Like like I imagine, <laughs> unless you live 
in the bay area you know like yeah, you you tough. have to have kind of a caveat but I, that's kind of how Joakim noah was if you're a bulls fan right it's like, you gotta have that guy who irritates the hell out of everyone mm-hmm. but makes things go you know where like if he was a bull like i'd, I'd probably love him so dennis rodman it. marcus smart you know you got it exactly. patrick beverly you have to have an irritant you know yeah yeah no it, it it works out so i'm i'm enjoying the fall of the celtics hopefully if that's what i i was definitely rooting for the heat because I was rooting for Jimmy Butler, former mm. Bull. Um, and I don't, I like this Celtics team. It's like I like everyone there, but I dislike all of Boston's success so much that I don't oh, want to see as them a city? get another title. Yeah, right. yeah. Yeah, the whole title town thing. Yeah, I get it. It's like they, they've had plenty. They've, they've had, had plenty. plenty. You're right. You're right. They're yeah. spoiled. I think so. I think so. All right, cool. So we got two votes for the Warriors here. Hopefully they mm-hmm. can close it out. Hopefully. And, uh, no lock, though. No lock. I don't know. I still feel like the Celtics are kind of like. Kind of a better team if they get. Yeah, together. I think. I mean, they're 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 more athletic, and I, and and you'd also you'd almost want to say across all positions more skilled. But I just feel like the Warriors are so savvy and experienced yeah. and confident, and I think they have the endurance. You know, like, and and I don't even mean physical endurance. I mean like psychological endurance to push through because you can tell, like, especially yeah. if you've been watching these playoffs at at each level pressure rises like exponentially and mm-hmm. and you know it, it and that's why i'm like i'm i think the celtics eat win or lose come out better because you are watching jason tatum get better you're watching Jalen brown get better and, and right. there's no way not to carry that into next season yeah yeah just that experience of getting through it um it is a, it is amazing how guys like a jordan pool um and a bunch of others will like it's like, oh, they're going off for 30 in the first round. Like, these guys, they, they figured it out, right? Playoff 30 points. And then they get to the finals, and it's like, yeah, he's got eight, and it's a tough <laughs> eight. <laughs> you know? Like, they, like that there's guys Kerr won't even play right now. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Just a, a different experience. Um, all right, cool. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to watching that next game. All right, Mike, what what do you want people to know? What do you want people to find? Where should they where should they look for your stuff? Uh, you can hit me up at MikeEagle.net is my website. Um, everything's there. And then, you know, I, I'm on Twitter a lot. So at Mike underscore Eagle there, you can usually find out when I'm up to there. Cool, 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 cool. We'll be back with the rest of Hickmania next month. Um, we're going to be doing, I think we have God is Dead, which is this weird. Have you read God is Dead? I have it, but I have not read it yet. Okay. So it's it's like Hickman fronts this project initially, and then it kind of becomes its own spinoff thing. Uh, and then East of West as well, we're going to kick off here in the new future, which should be super fun. Um, I think we're going to have some some good guests and some good conversations. So if you're playing along with the Hickmania experience, it's going to continue as always get in your uh, comments here or thoughts on any creators we should tackle next year. Now, as we approach the midway point of the year, um, I'm starting to think a little more seriously about what kind of creator catalog I want to go through next year. We've had votes so far for everyone from Brubaker to Alan Moore to Grant Morrison um, to, uh, to the one person who keeps picking Peter David, which I'm not doing. I promise. <laughs> you know what, 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 what? Let me quickly just say the one thing that's really interesting because I've I've watched every episode of this because I'm such a Hickman fan, and it's it's rough, right? Because when you look at these things under a critical eye, you get the sense of oh, big ideas, oh, details may not necessarily add up. Maybe corners were cut. Like mm-hmm. you start to really see the cracks, you know. And so I think in discussion of these of these books it can come off a little more negative than it's meant to be, but that's just kind of the nature of analysis. But the other side of that, especially when you bring up other creators, I have a sense that it would be way rougher on most other creators if if it really kind of put under that lens. So it'll be really interesting to see, you know, what, what happens going forward with whoever 
you end up going with. Yeah, I think that's a that's a good point. It's something I talk about a little bit in the in the Manhattan Projects one, which I think goes up today, actually, um, the day we're recording this mid June here. But uh, it, yeah, no, it's like I have to I, I forget to say it because I've been doing them a bunch. But it's like I'm a big fan. <laughs> like I like to do stuff. <laughs> like I, I I want that to be very clear. Um, but yeah, it's like in in having total full conversations about it. It's like yeah, you you identify cracks. I think you're right that a creator has to be of a certain incredibly high caliber for me to even want to consider reading 12, you know, 12 books over 12 months and talk exclusively about them. Right. And, and to your point, like there aren't that many creators that you could do that with and not just be like, Hey, month eight, we're back. (laughs) uh, We're back again, (laughs) you know, talking the same thing. So yeah, it's, it's definitely taking this credit for sure. All right. This has been fun. I appreciate you hopping on Uh, everybody. Like, Subscribe, share, check out my stuff here in the show notes. Absolutely. Thanks. Thanks for having me.